Hello there! Welcome back to Star Wars in a Galaxy, where we are watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. Today, in our 60th episode, we are going to be taking a look at the box. We are going to be taking a look at Crisis on Naboo, and of course, Massacre to continue our chronological rewatch of The Clone Wars. As always, I'm Jacob. I'm Eli. Let's get right into it. Absolutely. We are lucky enough to be in person today. Um, we were recording in the same room. I'm very excited about this. Um, uh... So, in the box, we see we see Count Dooku holding a massive bounty hunter competition. So, Cad Bane and Obi-Wan disguised as Reiko Hardeen, of course, they arrive on Sereno. You know, Cad Bane, he's a little suspicious. Um, but they, they go into the box um, because they want to take part in this competition f to take place. The competition and the five winners of the competition will be the, the bounty hunters who take part in the, the plot to, to capture the, the Chancellor and so forth. And so, you know, they're going, they're going. Um, they go through these challenges. They get eliminated um, one by one. And uh, Reiko Hardin, or Obi Wan, he's uh, he, he's really um, he's really kicking some butt, and um, he's kind of being more of a team player and a leader, which is uh, which is kind of confusing Dooku a little bit, and it's pissing. Morello of all gets super cocky. He tries to single out Reiko Hardin, um, and that's when Dooku decides he's had enough. He uh, he makes Morello of all go one on one with uh, Obi Wan disguised as Hardin. Obi Wan kicks his butt. Um, and yeah, and then Cad Bane is put in charge of the mission. Absolutely. We have our fortune cookie with this, which is the strong survive, the noble overcome. What do you got for this one? I think it's a pretty good fortune cookie actually. At first I, I was at first I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. This is this feels like just a another truism, but I really think it is it actually is quite good for this episode, the more I think about it. You know, um, the bounty hunters, they're strong. Um, but as soon as the trials start, as soon as they're in danger, um, they use their strength with no thought but their own personal survival. So they represent the strong, you know. They're kind of bumping into one another. One of them even says, like, every man for himself, you know, as soon as the, as, as soon as the, um, the trials start. Um, I'm pretty sure that's Sixtat who then Sixtat, yeah. snipes himself to death. Yeah, he, he misses a snipe and, and gets dropped into some flames later on. Um, oh, six tat, unlucky. Better luck next time. Oh wait. Oh wait, he's dead. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, oh jeez. Um, but yeah, you know they're kind of you know all the bounty hunters. They're the strong who are surviving. But then Obi Wan, he is the noble, not literally nobility, but you know he has these he does these noble acts. You know he kind of puts himself in danger to to find a way out of these various challenges and to lead people through um and he's he kind of acts as a leader and he acts much more selflessly and in doing so he actually helps the group overcome by thinking strategically as a team rather than just thinking about your his own survival and so i think that's why obviously the strong the bounty hunters will survive but it takes obi-wan who's actually acting 
with some selflessness to truly overcome the situation rather than just trying to save your own butt, basically. Absolutely, I agree with that. I had a slightly different interpretation that uh, I, I definitely think yours is valid, and I definitely had some things that relate to that during uh, when I took notes for this episode. I also thought of the whole, I know I reference this quote a lot, you know, from Lara Parivas, in this war, a danger there is of losing who we are. The strong survive, the weak die. But you start to wonder what the strong have to do to survive. What are you willing, it's, a, it's the Star Wars theme. What do you want? What are you willing to do to get to it? How far are you willing to go to achieve your goals? You know, there are several points where bounty hunters, not Obi-Wan, because I know Obi-Wan had his whole undercover premise, but like could have saved some of their fellow competitors. Though then again, I would also say to that point, now I'm re remembering it, there is that throwaway line basically that's like, if more than six of you survive, um, if more than five of you survive, well, bye-bye to the ones who are the least successful. Or at least it, it says they'll be eliminated. Did you yeah. take that as killed? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I took like, that this as is, killed. This is, oh, sorry. This is Dooku, 100%. Yeah, like, yeah. They, they're goners, you know. Yeah, no so, mercy, no mercy. So, here. like, I guess then it doesn't matter as much as I thought it did, but I still think the point is, like, you know, will Obi-Wan do the same things and will he be the same man if even if he's undercover and it and it turns out that, yes, he does during this point. He, it's a weird, they pull a weird twisted Bounty Hunters version of um, There Are More of Us from Rise of Skywalker. They pull a fleet out of Exegol. But it's like bounty hunters, which is so strange and abnormal. Because you don't think about that. You wouldn't think, yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, I think it also kind of ties into, you know, at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, I guess, um, Moralo of all, he, he tries to kill Obi-Wan. Um, but uh, then Bane, actually, Cad Bane steps in, you know, drops in the, the rope, or I guess the grappling, the grappling yeah. hook, the cord, and actually saves Obi-Wan's life. Which I think is interesting because, you know, in this and the, the previous episode, which I think is really the most tied to this one in many ways, um, we kind of see Hardeen struggle to, to gain Bane's trust as, um, you know, Obi-Wan uh, disguised as Hardeen. You know, he's acting, he's acting a little bit more mercifully, a little bit more Jedi-like and not quite the ruthless bounty hunter that i think Cadman wants him to be but at this point you know after after the challenges i think bane kind of sees that obi-wan's approach also has its merits or at least allows him to find success and that actually earns him some respect uh from from cad bane yeah i agree with you uh there that i do like that moment I would slightly disagree. I I remember when I first thought about this episode, when I first watched this episode all these years ago, um, I thought Cad Bane rescuing Rayco Hardeen was such a great um, character development moment for Cad Bane. However, I actually think, and we'll get to this later, I think that this episode, that that, that move is actually the um, best character-wise for Evolve, for a few reasons I'll explain later. Um... To summarize, I think it pushes Evolve in a way that the story hadn't yet. Um, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit later when we get to that. Oh, interesting. All uh, right. Yeah. Um, so you want to you jump into the, the plot? Absolutely. Speaking of Moral Evolve, actually, let's, let's talk to, about Moral Evolve a little bit. 
First of all, let me just note how Morallo if all runs to Dooku like a lost puppy in the beginning. Oh, oh gosh, it's <laughs> man, like this dude from from moment one, he's like, is he the same species as OC Sobek? The I seem the to remember that, yes, or the prison warden from the, yeah. the 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 Citadel episodes. I seem to remember that, yes. Yeah, okay, that that would make sense. Um. There he is. He is just as 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 grovelly and and yeah, he he grovels just as much as OC Sobek. It's you know you you kind of I wouldn't say you you feel bad for Moraloval, but his behavior is is pretty pitiful <laughs> through this. Um, and it, and it's interesting to kind of see how that goes. But um, one thing that I wanted to bring up real quick, get out of the way, was how does Dooku not feel Obi Wan's presence in the Force? You know, Dooku. He's right there. Cad Bane and, and uh, Obi-Wan disguised as Hardy, and they come up right behind um, Well, actually, and they're like, yeah, man, we want our money. Actually, I wrote that down as a note, too. But then I actually corrected myself in the episode, because I think he does. He you says, think Dooku does? Keep an eye on Hardeen. I, I sense something odd about this one. Tell me more about yeah, this Hardeen. He does I he think does he senses that. his presence, I, I think, because of the different appearance. And because of the whole, like, you know, you wouldn't expect somebody coming to have the Force. I don't think he rec- realizes what he's sensing, but I think he's sensing something. So you so you think that he is, you think that he's being upfront when when he's like, I don't know what is weird, but I something's out of place here. I do. Because I feel like a, a Force user of Dooku's caliber, you know, obviously a Sith Lord. Like, you, you think he'd be able... At least I thought that he would be able to tell. So unless like, unless my example, interpretation when, of the situation is off, it I think it also is possible that he might be kind of holding his cards closer to his chest, you know, knowing that the ultimate goal of this endeavor is to try and turn Anakin to the dark side, and it's not actually about kidnapping Palpatine. Like, for example, when Vader stood right in front of his daughter in A New Hope and didn't sense her force sensitivity. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I know there's some retconning in that, but like, still, yeah, you're right. It's there not are, without precedent. You're right. You're right. There's other. You're right. It's it's kind of with. It's actually in line. Um, but what's interesting about that is that, yeah, that actually makes sense because you know Obi Wan at least you know he's a he's a Jedi. He's been a Jedi. He probably has at least a bit of training on how to um to hide his how to signature. hide his force signature and yeah, and also Leia at that point, you know. Wasn't she, using she the force. Knows very little about the force. She wasn't actively using it. Never got any training. So yeah, I, I can make that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying uh, it's yeah. perfect. I'm just saying like yeah, no, you're right. But it's not really a it's not really a big problem actually. Yeah. Um. um no, because I I definitely um I I the first note I took after the fortune cookie was I wonder how Dooku doesn't sense Obi Wan. So I was going to the same place that you were. Um. We we both went there, but there's. Uh, that's what I love about the show is it leaves subtle explanations as to these things. Um, you know, uh, the, I want to talk about just the box as a storytelling concept because I feel like it doesn't get used enough in Star Wars. This whole, like, you know, many come in, one leaves. I think it's very good for character development and I think it's very good for world building too. Um, it, it gets used twice in the Clone Wars in the way we see it, and then I argue a third time in the Clone Wars in a slightly different way, and it gets used once in Rebels, too, in the episode Breaking Ranks. Well, um, I think... 
I, I think that um, if you're looking at the box specifically as the idea of going into like a, a competition or an elimination scenario, then it doesn't get used a lot. But I would say that if we really just look at it as the idea of, you know, going in to face something, face kind of face the unknown, test yourself, that, that, that's actually something that happens quite a bit. Um, like, like in Rebels, you know, Ezra going into the Jedi Temple in Season 1, um, you know, we are facing the visions of the Inquisitor and whatnot. Um, and then again in Season 2, um, Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra going into the Jedi Temple. Um, that feels very box-like. Um, you know, the, the, the Dagobah, the Dark Side Cave in Dagobah, you know, the idea of going in there and facing something unknown. I think in that broader sense, I think it does get used a lot as a storytelling device, but the elimination aspect, I would agree, doesn't, because I feel like it doesn't really fit with Star Wars at, at certain points. I would argue that your idea about Ezra going into the Path of the Jedi wasn't exactly what I was talking about, because it specifically involves the idea of a group, mm. the idea of many characters going in. The, the one I was thinking of that doesn't involve elimination, but is still a, char a character development thing and a world-building thing, is the gathering. The mm. gathering is like the light side version of the box, if we yeah. think about it. Because it no one gets eliminated, but all six of them find something out about who they are as people and their destiny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that seems like a very light side version of what we see in the box or what we see in Monster with Savage Opress and all of those Knight Brothers who got killed before Savage Opress. Um, yeah, but, uh, and of course, what we see with the well in Breaking Ranks with Ezra and Zara Leonis and Jai Kel. I just watched that episode again. That episode is so phenomenal. Nice. The one problem I have with that episode is that it wasn't a three-episode arc. <laughs> we could, you could have done Ezra Imper uh, infiltrating the Imperial Academy. Three episodes. Oh, don't even get me started how they could have stretched. I do think that Rebels is kind of... As much as I want it to be longer, I will admit that it is kind of the perfect length for the story that they wanted to tell. But man, I could go on for so yeah. long about how how they should have stretched Rebels out for, for longer and all the various ways that they could have done that. There were stories maybe that's, a, maybe that's a chat for another time. Absolutely, yeah. Um But yeah, here, let me let me, before you move on. Go ahead. If we're still on if we're still on the platform, this platform conversation, let me ask you something. What do you think Dooku's net worth is? I mean, he's the leader of an entire planet. He's nobility on a pretty wealthy planet. I think it's up there. Because something that I see kind of repeating in the Clone Wars is Cad Bane. He talks a lot of big talk with his fees, you know. That I think it's triple my two, rate. Yeah, you know, this triple my usual rate. In um, in uh, what what's it in the in the cargo of doom arc? Maybe the one where Cadvane's kidnapping four sensitive children. He holograms Sidious, and he's like triple my rate plus a starfighter with a cloaking device. It's like, All the works. Is like yeah, you think like he really thinks he's talking a big game, but I don't know because every time these Dooku Sidious are both just like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll give you whatever you want. You just gotta work for me, man. Well, I'd back that up with Sidious, just like, Sidious is so devious, he could just make credits appear out of nowhere. Yeah. A, and Dooku, I would bet to you that he is using a lot of funds, not from his own wealth, but from the Separatists. Yeah. 
because remember they have the banking clan, they have the uh, the trade federation, all these wealthy corporations on their side. I bet he's using their wealth to his advantage. Yeah. I, 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 I would bet you, and especially as a high profile of a mission is capturing the chancellor, you know, you think he would just be shelling out credits for this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. um, but I'm sure he has his own personal wealth. Why do I say that? Like, because he has four Magna Guards guarding his castle and yeah. those things are expensive. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously as a powerful dark side to any powerful dark sider, the opportunities and the ways that you have to just make absurd amounts of money are probably limitless and very easy, I would imagine. But I was just bringing it up because, like, there seems to be such a discrepancy between what Bane thinks is a lot and, and what Sidious and Dooku yeah. think is a lot. There's also They're also probably just trying to get him off their back at a certain point. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You just, like, do this thing for us. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's this um, scene I had with uh, with Anakin and Yoda, uh, which oh, yeah. is yeah, the only understand. scene with any of the light side characters other than Obi-Wan that we get in this entire episode. Wow. Th- this is such a, a villain-centric episode. Um, and, like, I'm sorry. I love Yoda, but, like, he's my favorite Star Wars character, but, like, he really messes up in this scene. He really does. Like, you know, a Skywalker, a powerful Jedi you are, but dangerous and reckless you can be. You know, do you want to really test your life, luck with this thing, Yoda? You, you don't tell somebody who's reckless and arrogant the reckless and arrogant <laughs> unless you want serious repercussions. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that... This is kind of the problem um, that the Jedi always face, which is that the truth hurts, and that even though it is very true that Anakin is reckless and dangerous, that's really, really not what you should be saying in that scenario. Um, you know, maybe you should be like, "Oh gosh, Anakin, I'm so sorry. I, I can't believe what this must have put you through. We're really sorry that it had to be this way, and I'm, I'm regretting doing this." But say it's just like, "No, you're, you're reckless and dangerous." So. We put we you through. Reasons. We put you through unimaginable emotional suffering, uh, for for no real reason. Yeah. Because like, it, it, yeah. Yeah, I love Yoda, but like, come on. I uh, yeah. I also love this is this is great. Um, two th- two small things. If you leave, help him. You could. Yeah. Is a parallel of if you leave now, help them. You could from Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I didn't catch that. Dagobah. Nice. In addition, Yoda and Anakin's chat in that like council room, C O N C O U N S E L, um, it is the same room that they have their chat in in Revenge of the Sith. Yes, and uses a lot of the same lighting tropes that uses in Revenge of the Sith. I definitely noticed that. Yeah, uh, it, and it's it's masterful how they do yeah. this because. One of the things I think this arc does very well is, you know, if you could, if you um, would ask me what's the best arc um, to show Anakin's fall to the dark side more in depth than the Clone Wars, 
I would either say Nigeria or this one. Yeah, cri- especially Crisis on Naboo. Yeah. As we're going to get to the, the back half of that episode. Oh my yeah. gosh, when we get there, we're going to have so much to unpack. Because yeah, but even here. It's absolutely packed. But even here, you know, we see Anakin slipping. We see where his problem with the Jedi come from. Where his, you know, what I think the prequels do very well is they show why losing Padme would be so detrimental to Anakin. But what I think they don't do as well is they don't show why Anakin would want would would feel like he has to leave the Jedi to do that. But I think that's what the Clone Wars fills in a little bit better is what is what separations Anakin specifically feels from the Jedi. Mm. Yeah, I see what you mean. I think I think I think the 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 parallels that you're talking about with Anakin and and Yoda in the meditation room really show. Um, in the in the context, if we're thinking about it in the context of kind of highlighting Anakin's fall to the dark side and Anakin's Anakin's descent and his growing disillusionment and dissatisfaction with the Jedi Order, I think I think it's a it's a great device to use because it kind of shows how you know Anakin he keeps coming he comes to the Jedi he comes to the leadership with you know maybe he he needs some support he needs. Um, he he needs to have his his viewpoint be understood and acknowledged, or and over, at least validated. Yeah, invalidated. And over and over again, he kind of gets invalid. Like his feelings, like like his feelings, kind of get invalidated, and his he gets rebuffed a lot of the time. And I think that that kind of wears on him. And that's very much always in contrast to Palpatine, who is always right there for whatever whatever Anakin kind of needs emotionally. Palpatine, Palpatine will give it to him. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Can we cut to um, the introduction of all the bounty hunters? Oh, absolutely. Which I love so much. I love the amount song. of world building and context this gives to the universe is flawless. Kara Swan, two-time winner of the Obsidian Sphere. Okay, what's the Obsidian Sphere? How'd she win it? And what was the competition yeah. like? It definitely feels like a little bit it feels like it's teasing a lot of things because it, of all the references, but also it really, it really gets, it really gets the excitement yeah. rolling. Really and then, like and then my favorite part of it is he goes, Cad Bane, who needs no introduction. <laughs> he was all that dramatic introductions. Cad Bane's so awesome, he doesn't even need one. Yeah, and especially, and I mean, that is maybe a little bit of a nod to just the fact that, you know, we have seen Cad Bane a lot. Yeah. Beyond, like on our side of the fourth yeah. wall, obviously. But at the same time, also, it's true. Yeah. Like if 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 any of these other characters know anything about Cad Bane's, Cad character. Bane is this era's Boba Fett, you know. Yeah, and and in terms of of um, Cad Bane, who is a character that I that I that I love to hate and hate to love. Um, this episode really gives me a lot more respect for him because of how what he does for Obi Wan. Um, and I really think it kind of gives his character a bit more dimension beyond all the other standard kind of, you know, selfish, out for number one bounty hunters and all these different scoundrel characters that we always see in Star Wars. I definitely agree. Um, I also, um, this is something I want backstory now. This needs to be in a comic, I've decided. Uh, Dooku describes Reiko Hardeen as, quote, the marksman of Concord Dawn. You know Conquer who else was Dawn. born on Conquer Dawn at around the same time? Django Fett. 
Ooh. I need to see a comic with young Jango Fett and young Rico Hardeen. That would be like roughing awesome. it out with each other. That's what I need. Before yeah. Rico became a bounty hunter and before Jango started to like do his stuff and work for the Kaminoans and all that stuff and be with the Mandalorian culture, I need to see them in a comic together. That that would be pretty sick. I don't. I I even wrote in my notes. I don't care if the timeline works. Make it work. You can retcon some things. I won't care. That would be that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. And obviously, you know, right before the. Oh, sorry. Do you have more to say about this? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, right before you know, Cad Bane, the hat scene, iconic. <laughs> What? It was a, a nice hat. hat. <laughs> the major shade Obi-Wan throws in there. Like, Cat Bane kills a random Mithorian over a hat. Yep. This guy is petty. I love that so much. I also want to point out Twazi, whose acrobatics once earned her praise from Chancellor Valorum. Can we see that, please? Also, by the way, let's see more of Twazi because she survived the box. Yeah. So like, I don't know. You kind of get swept, swept by. Yeah, she she gets very um. No, nobody cares about Twazi. Everything is in this arc is about Cad Bane um and Daron pretty much get all the action. Um, uh. Also, by the way, did you notice Montu? Didn't notice Montu. Montu yeah. is a cell cat. Oh yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say that I forgot the name of the species. Yeah, the cell cap. That definitely that definitely was, was a felt like a a throwback to yeah, our uh, man. Our uh S W T O R days. Oh Kotor, yeah. sorry, not Sotor, yeah. Very easily confusable. Throwback. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To the Kotor days. Um Yeah, yeah should we should we move on to uh the box itself? Absolutely. Um, this is weird. Okay. Dooku has Morala Vival originally before he puts Cad Bane in charge. Yeah. In charge of this whole thing. Because he could rebuild a really dangerous box. Come on, Dooku. I thought you were supposed to be good at this. Yeah. Why are you putting somebody in charge? Because they killed their mother when they were young and they can build a really big and dangerous box. Yeah, it definitely feels like, I mean, over the course of this episode, as we're going to see, Moralo of all really, he, he gets knocked down quite a few pegs, I would say. But it's so ironic to me that Moralo of all, right at the beginning, he's all, enter if you have the courage when he is not entering and he's just yeah. manipulating everything from from behind the scenes. I also just love how, I didn't mention this in my notes, but I just was casually noticing how even to the final episode... He's still calling himself in the third person. Just randomly. Yeah. Like, why? I, I don't know why they did it in the first place. I love that they committed to it and then stuck with it in all four episodes. I, I really love that. I don't know why. I just do. Um, yeah. That's uh, hilarious. Uh, and, um, yeah. Uh, so we get to this first challenge, which is poison challenge, where a poison toxin rises up and they have to realize that the way is not up, the way out is not up, it's down through the poison. 
So Obi-Wan, being his heroic self, jumps down first and charts the way out. Here's what I want to ask you. Upon rewatching this, I had the thought, is Obi-Wan using the Force to keep the toxins out? That's a good question. Cause... I know his, he said his mouth mask could, figure out, could filter out toxins for a while, but he was down there for quite a while before finding... Like, it's possible that he yeah. totally just made that up and was using the force to make sure he could hold his breath for a long time or something. I don't know. Yeah. It, it definitely, I don't think it's so much consequence, but he definitely, um, he definitely put himself in the, in the position, um, yeah. to do that and try and be there. It, it's pretty funny how, um, you know, Hardeen, like, for some reason, Hardeen or his Obi-Wan's success just, pisses the absolute heck out of out of Evol. He, he like cannot take it at all well it makes sense because Evol is your typical dark side villain and dark side people on the dark side and the dark side just generally loathe cooperation the strong survive but we die the strong shouldn't be helping even other uh, other mem- other uh, others who are strong they shouldn't be helping them because it goes against what the dark side's preaching about selfishness and having everything be about you and and achieving your own goals. Um, yeah, true. And yeah. so, uh, I I love that. Like, and then Dooku, to his credit, you know, does a very Palpatine thing, learns from his master a little bit, and pits Reiko against Morallo at the end. Um, and that's a very that's a very um. That's a very Palpatine thing to do. Because I do believe that if Reiko killed Moralo, that Obi-Wan would have been put in charge of that mission. Because I think the only reason he put Cad Bane in charge is because Reiko slash Obi-Wan didn't kill Evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll get into that bit. We'll cut that. We'll cut that. But uh, yeah, I, I love um, you know when Dooku kind of kind of says um, you know, oh that Hardeen, he's he's there's something different about him. Keep an eye on him again. I, I love the mis- I love the mystery aspect and how Dooku you know starts to slowly suspect that 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 Obi Wan isn't who he says he is or that something's wrong and and, when, and then when it's revealed. I'm like, tell tell me more. But he's like, oh, Marlo, well, tell me more about this one. He's like, oh yeah, he killed Obi Wan Kenobi. You know that that you know that sets off a few alarm bells, uh, maybe a little bit of, of maybe a little bit more suspicion. Um, and I, I really, I was a little disappointed um, upon rewatching that they didn't kind of take that subplot further of the race for Obi Wan to kind of do his part before Dooku finds out because I really like. I think that's something that's, that um, the Clone Wars can do really well, and Star Wars in general, but especially the Clone Wars, of like peeling back the layers of a mystery one at a time and really kind of slowly, slowly building the suspense and, and keeping the momentum and stakes moving using a device, but also not making it necessary, without it being necessarily the center point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um... Let's see. Um, I also realized 
um, something kind of uh, strange, which is that uh, so I watched Breaking Ranks, that Rebels episode again recently. A lot of the challenges in the well and the box are like pretty much the same. The Obi Wan. Obi-Wan gets out of that second challenge with those, like, floating lasers by predicting patterns. Ezra gets out of the first challenge in Rebels by predicting patterns. I would like to point out that in Rebels, it, it's also implied that, that Ezra's force But it's also implied here that Obi-Wan's force sensitivity helps him. Really? Yeah, because it, it said... explicitly just said it's the pattern. Yeah, but he was able to sense the patterns oh. by his force sensitivity. And then in Rebels, someone says about Ezra and Bill, it's like he sees them before they're even there. He, like yeah. he says something. And you could apply that to Obi-Wan here. And then and then there's a sharpshooting challenge both in Rebels and in Clone Wars. Yeah. So um, I find it interesting how they're using a lot of the same tricks here. Um, but uh, in this challenge, we get our first deaths. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, Anka is the first one to, uh, who's Anka? He's the other Athorian. I feel so mad for Athorians. We always just see them kind of, we just see them getting dumped on a lot. We never really see them. I mean, Anka gets his brother killed over a hat. And then he gets like, there's that thing where the, where one of the lasers comes out right in front of him and waves it at him, and he's like, I'm fine. And then one comes out right behind him and stabs him in the back. Like, that's brutal. Let's go maybe to that third challenge, which um, is uh, they're all placed on a platform, which is shrinking all the time, um, and there's a laser field below them. You know, if they touch it, they die. Um, but they have to figure out there's an electrolytic serum and one of their blood can take it and pass through the ray shield. Uh, and Obi-Wan being the Jedi, sorry, Parwin killer that he is, um, uh, figures it out. Depends on the blood type of the Parwin. Which, by the way, did they account for, like, did all account, account for the whole, like, what if Theron's blood type wasn't that blood type? You know, I was thinking about it too, because this challenge is one of the ones where if one person messes up... They're all dead. All what so, What do they do if they all die? I hear... I hear Dooku... I think Dooku must have known... I think, I think Dooku must have talked to himself that if any of his really valuable assets, like like Cadbane is specific, you know, we already know about Cadbane, is like he, he regularly works he regularly works contracts. Yeah, cities would be pretty pissed if Cad Bane bit it. I think Dooku knew that he could step in and like kill the lasers or, or for any of these kind of he, he knew that he could step in and keep Cad Bane from being killed. So I definitely don't think that they were necessarily in mortal probation. But yeah. it definitely was a little bit sketchy that Dooku would let that happen to like something collect, like the way it was collected by Yeah. Didn't quite match up, I thought. With a lot of the other challenge, yeah. Out. It's supposed to be like it's about the best of the best. Yeah. What if you're just, everyone just gets ushered into this box and then they all get killed by lasers because 
a viral one to know the right blood type. Or like, because nobody could figure out that it was the Parwin based on the blood type. I mean, if you can't figure it out, that's your fault. But if it's just the wrong blood type. I know, but like, here's the other thing. If somebody else other than the Parwin figures it out, and I think Darone figured it out first. But if somebody else other than the par one figures it out, and they can't convince the par one, they still all die. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it it does seem a little bit shaky. Um, I do I do love that line. That line from Obi Wan. I used to kill par ones for a living. Was so perfect. I loved everything about that because often characters in Star Wars are so bad at lying. But this was a really good lie, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's I remember it was kind of Obi Wan at this point, realizing that he has to lean into his, you know, gangster bounty hunter rough and tumble persona as a guardian in order to actually do what needs to be done. Again. Finally. Uh so they're set up with a bunch of flames in front of them. And they have to uh, shoot targets, moving targets on the wall. Um, if they miss, uh, they get absorbed into the flames, and the platform becomes smaller. Uh, Six Tat dies here. Oh, by the way, in the other challenge, I'm pretty sure um, Jacoli, the Rodian, died in the in the serum challenge. So did Mantu, by the way. Mantu also died, and Six Tat is the first one to die. Um, with the sniper challenge. Um, step back, boys! Um, so I guess now can, now can I just jump into why I think the Cad Bane saving um, Obi-Wan thing is good for uh, Morallo Evol and not Cad Bane? Okay, here we go. So Cad Bane, I do agree that it gives a little bit more dimension to his character. But I don't, I'm not convinced that it develops the character. However, Evol, on the other hand, Evol's been going through this arc basically relying on one thing. In Deception and Friends and Enemies, he's been relying on, but hey, Dooku's got my back. Yeah. But seeing Tad save Hardeen relinquishes a lot of that control that Evol's used to having. And then Dooku just turns him against Hardeen. And now suddenly, he tries messing with the controls. You know, he tries doing that thing where all those platforms rise and lower against Hardeen. He sends out droids after him. But Hardeen beats them all. So, it, you know, it, it begs that question, you know, like, you know, it's, it's like with Batman. Because Batman doesn't have any actual superpowers. He just has a lot of gadgets. If you strip away the gadgets... What is Batman? If you strip away the gadgets, what's Marallo Evolve? And in this episode, and I'm sure like there's there's there that Bruce Wayne, I'm not a big Batman fan, but like I'm sure Bruce there's a lot to Bruce Wayne without the gadgets. But with Marallo Evolve, he lives and dies by his gadgets, by his machines. Yeah, like if he doesn't have the gadgets, if he doesn't have Dooku's favor, he's a total punk. He's got nothing going for him at all. What's his job in the Christ on the Boop? A getaway driver. That's the best they could do with him. A getaway driver. Yeah, yeah I think um, yeah, I, I love how um, I, I love the part when Newton kind of says, "Okay, dude, 
Like you can kind of tell that Dooku is getting fed up with him. Yeah, yeah. You know, when Obi Wan kicks him over, that's kind of it's kind of, it's kind of all over for a while at that point. You know, like all the, all the confidence, all the cockiness, all the arrogance, like it, it's all just bluster. I think it's a really great episode. Um, a lot, lot goes on. So it's a good time, I'd say, for the viewer, not for the people in the box. I definitely agree. Before we do anything, I'm going to put a new hashtag. Spread this on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere you can. Hashtag justice for Embo. They, they, made, they had Embo survive this, which thank God, because Embo is awesome. We didn't talk about him a lot because he doesn't do a lot. But he's Embo. He's never not a badass. Plus, he's a felony voice character, and you know I love those. Um, uh, like uh, like uh, Bokeeval in Resistance or Chopper in Rebels. Um, yeah, I love the box. The box is a phenomenal episode. Um, it's probably a top 20 episode for me of the Clone Wars in general. The character development, the world building that it does is very, very nice. I'm going to say this right now. The box is my favorite episode of the Undercover Obi-Wan arc. It's, it's a really interesting character exploration of Cad Bane, of Obi-Wan, and of Maralo Evol. Um, and it sets up the next episode, Crisis on Naboo, very, very well. Um, also, I guess I'll just add one more thing before we close out this episode. You have been invited here because you are the best bounty hunters in the galaxy. Cut to, like, half of them dying pathetically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it definitely does. This definitely does um, suffer because of, I guess you can call it, even though they're technically named characters, it does kind of have that unnamed character syndrome feeling. Absolutely, it does. It's supposed to be a little bit more skilled and maybe a little bit tougher. Maybe a little bit more more powerful, kind of kind of going down, going down relatively easy. Yeah, it's like we get all this backstory for like Hobby, yeah, in Rebels, but like at the end of the day, he's still Hobby, the guy who crashes in Empire Strikes Back, yeah. and was given a name retroactively. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree with that. Um, should we get on to Crisis on Naboo? Crisis on Naboo, let's do it. Yeah, okay, I'll do the summary. Um, in Crisis on Naboo, um, Obi-Wan, Cad Bane, Dooku, and the rest of the Bounty Hunters infiltrate a hangar um, where they strategize about the kidnapping plot. Meanwhile, Anakin and Mace Windu and Yoda and Ahsoka um, are in a Jedi war room uh, discussing their part of the preventing of the kidnapping. Um, everybody arrives on Naboo. Um, the celebration, uh, goes off, uh, there's some fireworks, um, Palpatine gives a little speech, um, uh, but all of a sudden, boom, uh, shield generator around the platform where Palpatine is, uh, gets breached by Daron, um, who, like other bounty hunters, are, um, are undercover as Senate guards, um, uh, using the Shadow Holocron Matrix. Interestingly enough, Shadow Holocron Matrix was invented by Sinric, who is a Sinatine, who is in the box, who I assume died. We didn't see him die, but he died. We, we see him at the very beginning, at the inter, in the introduction of all the Bounty Yeah. And then we... Never see him again. Yeah. We never see him again. He's never again. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then, Obi-Wan, fa uh, not Obi-Wan, Anakin faces Daron, 
and he gets shockingly defeated by Daron and knocked out. Daron and Embo go to kidnap the Chancellor, um, which they do uh, without a hitch. Obi-Wan, uh, from his sniper position, goes to follow them. Um, and then and then Obi-Wan, Moralo, uh, Embo, Cad Bane, and um, I think it's, yeah, it's Obi-Wan, Moralo, um, and Cad Bane all meet up at the rendezvous point. Um, where Dooku is not there, Dooku double-crossed them, he didn't obey the plan, um, all of a sudden, Anakin and Mace Windu capture, um, uh, Cad Bane and, Mer- and, uh, Morale Fall, and Mace Windu's like, good job, Obi-Wan, and Cad Bane's like, you son of a gun, Kenobi, I will plug you full of laser wolves, and Obi-Wan's like, yeah, whatever, man, good luck doing that from prison, um, and then, uh, after uh, he's rescued, Palpatine sends all the security detail away because he's sure Anakin will just be adequate. On the way to a banquet um, in Anakin's honor, Anakin and Palpatine run into a trap set by Dooku, who's still on the planet. Anakin and Dooku duel, and Anakin um, and Obi-Wan, uh, still in his Reiko Hardin disguise, rescue the Chancellor yet again. Um, it's also revealed at the end of the episode that Dooku was, uh, had planted a calm in the case of Obi-Wan's sniper gun, um, and he had been listening to him the whole time. Let's get to the fortune cookie. Trust is the greatest of gifts, but it must be earned. A lot of this arc is about trust. Who gets it, how it's gotten, and who hasn't. You know, Obi-Wan never really gained Cad Bane's trust, but he gained it enough last episode. Um, but I would also say that this epi- that trust in this episode is mostly about Anakin. Anakin's trust in the Council, and mostly his trust in Palpatine. Oh yeah, I think this is way more about Anakin's trust than it is about Cad Bane's. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Um, you know, it, Palpatine does a lot to distance Anakin from the council and bring him closer to him in this episode, which causes Anakin to lose trust with the council. He even says in Revenge of the Sith, I admit my trust in them has been shaken. Um, uh, but, uh, and then, uh, but, and then, of course, he, um, Gains more trust in the Chancellor. And we see that again in um, uh, Age of Revenge of the Sith. You're asking me to do this to, a, to the Chancellor, to a mentor and a friend. You know, how can you do this? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Trust is a big deal in this episode. Um, and Palpatine goes out of his way to earn Anakin's trust. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that this part of this is the fact that, as we see in this episode, obviously, this is where we really get into the fact that the council really just doesn't trust Anakin at least no. in this situation. And, like there are reasons that they shouldn't completely not necessarily that they shouldn't trust Anakin, but there are reasons that they shouldn't just completely give Anakin free reign and just be okay with everything that he wants to get because you know They should keep him on a leash, but they're making it very clear to Anakin that they're keeping him on a tight leash. Yeah. I don't think it's as much that they need to keep him on a leash as it is just that they need to they need to be open 
with him about working on his problems and his emotions. Yeah. Um, they don't know about that. Yeah. By the way, let's talk about this like infiltration scene at the beginning, which is like the most in- unnecessary scene in this episode, but I love so much. It's just kind of it's, it's just kind of big and the band is just kind of touring, toying with these poor, helpless construction workers. I know, and I kind of love that. I kind of love seeing the ruthlessness of this these bounty hunters. I love seeing the lengths that they're willing to go. Uh, I love seeing the, the the techniques that they use. Um, I love seeing Embo using his hat as a weapon. That's always a bonus for me. I also like the final line that Cad Bane says in that episode. Well, hello there. I'm like, Cad Bane, do respect, buddy. That's not your line. The guy whose line it is is standing two feet away from you. Cad Bane, you're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. You're not the guy. And then we get to um, uh, that other war room scene with uh, the Jedi. Oh, wow. Crazy. Uh, and when when Anakin says, this is the line I got, Obi-Wan will do his part. Let's make sure we do ours. It, it, it does seem like Anakin's on an end justify the means bender a little bit. He's like, we're, we're, he, he, the, it's like the in this war of danger there is of losing who we are. Whatever I need to do to get what I want, we're doing that. That's just that's just happening. Um, and you you see that subtle distancing from the Jedi. And you know, if we're talking about like the whole end justify the means thing in this war, there a danger there is of losing who we are thing. What does? Palpatine say to Vader about his um, mission to the Jedi Temple and Rent of the Sith. Do what must be done, Lord Vader. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. Do what must be done. Yeah. So you you, you, you are really... And Must be done. That's the barking of his turn to the dark side, because you know there's all these guidelines of the light side. Don't kill. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. But dark side is do whatever you feel is necessary to complete the job, and that's what Sidious tells him, and that's what Anakin does. He kills younglings. Mm. The beginning, not so much. Um, I think uh, with all the scenes, you know, right after he talks with. With, with Obi-Wan, we see him then talking to Palpatine. And Palpatine's manipulation in this is just brilliant, but at this point, honestly, it's just too easy. It's just too easy. It is just too easy. Yeah. So obviously, Pal- and then Palpatine's manipulation, I think, is just made so much easier by, you know, the conversation he has with Obi-Wan, and then he has to turn right back to Palpatine. And all, Pap- all Palpatine has to do is give him just a little bit of, of um, of validation and then Anakin's like oh Palpatine you know he's great I love Palpatine subconsciously um because of how he's treated by by the Jedi and by Obi-Wan at times and how that makes him feel even if the Jedi I think are in the right or maybe I should say are not necessarily wrong in what they're saying they're in the right they're they're more right 
then they're more right than Palpatine in terms of how accurate what they're telling Anakin about himself is. But they're also, they clearly don't really know what they're doing in terms of trying to make Anakin feel included and feel validated. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So also in the hangar with the bounty hunters, I love this one. This is hilarious. Um, I have it from a very reliable source that everything will happen exactly as we planned. What everything source? is proceeding as I have foreseen. Okay, yes, but also what source can predict the future? Palpatine, because he's literally controlling it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, fair, but also, yeah. come on. That's, come on. I mean, I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, I also just love, um, so this holographic disguise matrix. We are now putting, for Obi-Wan, disguises on top of disguises. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's... Uh, the the hologram the holographic matrix that I I'm not quite I'm not quite sure I I can get, get on board with it yeah. like you know obviously a lot of Star Wars is you know worry about the the why and the what not necessarily the how you know and you know a lot of it's you know don't squint too hard suspend disbelief it's not yeah. science fiction it is not it is in fact i would is definitely not science fiction science fantasy science fantasy yeah um I, i'd agree with you there but then again Embo steps into the, the the hologram with his helmet on and it just disappears and it just disappears what come why on. come on no come on <laughs> but so yeah you know obviously a lot of stars yeah as you're saying as you're pointing out you don't squint very hard yeah you don't you shouldn't you should you don't have to to pick it apart but also you shouldn't but this to me was just it cro- there was there's a line in the sand and they kind of crossed it it felt they, a little they cross it they cross it sometimes look it felt you, a little bit too I, I remember listening to a star wars podcast and they say hyperspace moves at the speed of plot yeah hyperspace moves exactly as fast as the plot needs it to um but that's just something we have to it comes with the territory um yeah oh by the way so they land on naboo uh, the uh, Anakin and Mace Windu and Palpatine. Yeah. And Padme and Queen Yutney are with the Senate delegation. You know who also is with the delegation? Who? Wait, is that a communications construction can only mean one thing invasion? Seal Bibble, I see? <laughs> yes, they have an animated Seal Bibble. Never gets any lines, but he's there, and I love that. Yeah. So, I just want to point that out. Um, yeah. I also, um... I also love this, too. Um, there are three lines with Anakin, Ahsoka, and Padme where when Anakin's explaining the situation on Naboo to, Palpa- to Padme, that's just perfection. Um, if, if something happens, Ahsoka will bring the Queen, you, and the rest of your staff to safety. Where will you be? Hopefully I'll be where I always am. He means saving the day. Of course he does. Yeah. Those lines are perfection- I love them. I love everything about them. They perfectly explain that the relationship Anakin has with, at this point, the two most important women in his life. Yeah. It's... I just love that so much. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 
Uh, so let's get to the, the ceremony. First of all, um, all the trivia nerds, Star Wars trivia nerds, listen up. 847 years ago, Naboo joined the Republic. That's interesting. That's because... just that trivia question writes itself. That's kind of interesting because for a pe- for a planet that's seen, I guess, or a, for a planet that's shown by the prequels and the Clone Wars to be, you know, very, um, very, very civilized, very kind of classy and classical in the way it's presented, that would that would be a very a relatively new addition to the Republic. Well, then I would add to you in and terms this is... of galactic history and this is a bit of retconning in here but like still i would add to you that the high republic is exploring what we now know as the far edges of the galaxy and it takes place about 200 years before the prequels so actually it matches up more than you'd think it would i'm not saying it doesn't ma- i'm not saying it doesn't match up i'm not saying it doesn't match up i'm just saying it definitely adds another twist to naboo's history and kind of when palpatine says you know look around wasn't long ago that this city was just plasma mines look how far we've come they're crafty those nabooans yeah and i think it definitely shows a different side to naboo that maybe it's not exactly the same kind of super super old wealth old power that we might see on planets like alderaan or or coruscant for example absolutely or like hosnian yeah yeah um i also love this too when Palpatine's triggering the fireworks, he goes, uh, let's look forward to our future. Let us never forget our past. And then he starts the fireworks. And one yeah. of the main fireworks looks suspiciously like the opening crawl. Yes, I, I was Star thinking about that as well. Like, but wait. These these I'm, these I'm, dudes really made a an opening crawl for their for their Clone Wars. And I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in some layering there. Let us never forget our past. What traditionally comes before um, the opening crawl? A long, long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Let us never forget our past as he's shown something that premieres after it's talking about the past. Mm, oh, of course. That's very... <laughs> it's so funny. I, I noticed that this time around. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Though. That is a cool touch, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that was on purpose, but I think that was on purpose. That's pretty... but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so uh, there's so many disguises in this episode. They disguise Palpatine in this episode. They, they they there's a there's a line that that's from I think it's from Twazi actually. Let's make the switch, and they switch get a random Republic guard uh, Palpatine to look like a random Republic guard, and then Twazi to look like Palpatine. Which I thought was really it's interesting. A, that is an amazing. That is absolutely an amazing. <laughs> and then right there. And then I watching uh, Palpatine walk up to Anakin and then just sock him in the jaw is so satisfying in a way it totally shouldn't be. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's awesome. That's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 an, it's incredible. Um, and then uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, it's, what do you have so for, cool. from the kidnapping itself? The kidnapping itself, um, the whole switch 
obviously i was i was blown away by that i thought that was an amazing twist um for the kidnapping itself i don't have a ton kind of more for before and after but i i yeah again i i just liked it thought it was a good twist um i definitely i definitely really enjoyed it it's very very thrilling nail biter um i don't understand why um hardeen's gun would only have one shot even for star wars actually especially for star wars that seems a bit strange that we have that and then we see we see at other times people shooting their guns dozens if not hundreds of times see i thought without that was having planned. to overheat recharge or reload you thought that was planned i thought that was planned i thought what would be the why would that why would that be the case though i'm a little i don't, I don't know just there's something about there's that line um uh dooku says to cad Bane early in the episode keep your eyes on this hardeen there's something about him i don't trust and pat cad Bane says don't worry i'm keeping my eyes on all of them you think maybe do you think that Cad Bane is maybe purposefully kind of holding holding his co-conspirators back a little bit just to make sure they can't run off with the Chancellor on him? Yes, actually. I think that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, that that does sound like a very Cad Bane thing to do. I cannot lie. You helped me get there. I was already going there, but you yeah. helped me get there quicker. That Thank is a very that. Cad Bane thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I, definitely, I definitely think that's uh, true. But then again... I love how quickly, if that is true, he turns back on that. When Dooku abandons them, he goes, um, when Dooku abandons them, he goes, um, we'll ransom him, we'll ransom them himself. We'll ransom, we'll ransom them ourselves. Oh, by the way, Jacob, I just realized something. That yeah. having the comment for Obi-Wan wasn't because of the Dooku ambush later in the episode. It was for something more obvious that I just completely blanked about. Oh, really? The calm was so that Dooku, Dooku abandoned them at the rendezvous point because he had the common and because he knew the plan. Mm, because I think yeah. Dooku was intending to meet them there, but when he heard that the Jedi had this plot, he didn't want to get captured. So he just abandoned them and he contacted probably Sidious and he said, dude, the Jedi fooled us on this one. Maybe I shouldn't do this. And Sidious says, yeah, man, don't do this. Oh, that's I think that's I, what I think was the real purpose of that. Uh, yeah, that could that could be. Um, definitely. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really cool, cool scene overall. I enjoyed it. So the rendezvous with Hardeen, though. Yeah, I think this is where things get interesting. Um, first, it's absolutely amazing that after getting completely humiliated. In the last episode, um, moral of all, you know, he's still bickering with Bane, and his ego is still big enough. Where he says, yeah. "How dare you defy moral of all?" And, yeah. and all this, and then even in their, I think it just shows. It goes back to talking about some of the idea of trust that we've been talking about. You know, you know, even in their moment of triumph. Even after everything's gone their way, after they're going to be set for life, they can't, these bounty hunters, they can't help but bicker and bicker and feud and feud. Yeah. That's all they can do. Well, the bounty hunter is constantly, in everything they do, the bounty hunter is constantly fighting. Yeah. That's their that's their destiny. <laughs> I think that's what Star Wars is saying. Their destiny yep. is constantly to fight about literally everything. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, I want to mention, 
Reward. I'll give you a reward when I plug you full of laser bolts. That I is, hate Cad Bane's a character. That line was perfection. I I love when Cad Bane kind of loses his cool. Because it's so great. It's so chilling. It's so great. He he spends so much time, you know, he's kind of the just low-key, suave, you know, tip of the hat kind of thing. So when he really when he when he loses his cool, yeah, it is I mean, let me just say this, actually. I'll say this to you. I think that Cad Bane is Corey Burton's best animated Star Wars role. Um, not Dooku, not Zero, Cad Bane. Wow. I like Corey as Dooku, and I like a lot of the stuff he does as Dooku, but I think Cad Bane's the best role he does, especially with these new Bad Batch episodes where Cad Bane shows back up. Um, yeah. Uh, this is the really interesting part. So that ending scene with the with, with them reconvening and um, Obi Wan and Anakin for, talking for the first time since he quote died, yeah, that would usually be the ending scene of a Clone Wars episode, but they continue the episode for ten minutes after that happens. Yeah, that's very unusual. They don't usually do that. That's a pretty big subversion. Yeah, because you'd expect this entire episode to be about the kidnapping and the failed kidnapping. Yeah. But it's not. Which is so interesting. And I'm wondering how that narratively came about. Maybe they thought they didn't have enough for the kidnapping? Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. Yeah. I don't really have I don't really have the answer, yeah. Uh let's see. Uh yeah. We gotta get to the meme of the episode. Meme alert. You know what meme what we're talking about. Whoop, whoop. I don't know if I do. You lied to me. How many other lies have uh, I been told by the council? Of course. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and but I and, and even though it's a meme, I also like the idea that like, you know, Anakin. The council doesn't view Anakin as special. He thinks Anakin yeah. thinks that he deserves as the chosen one to be special. Yeah, Growing definitely. up as a, as a slave has made him feel very non-special, very not special. So he constantly needs to be seen as special. And the council, in excluding him from such things involving his own master, removes that specialness from him. And he just doesn't know what to do with that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of think that, um, you know, a, a recurring theme is how Anakin needs to be special. Um, you know... He, you know, that's why he loves Qui-Gon, because Qui-Gon, you know, Qui-Gon's like, Annie, you're special. And, and, obviously, Palpatine, to an incredible extent. You're the most gifted Jedi I've ever met! Yeah, he gives that to him in a big way, which is really what he needs. Now, the Jedi Council, they kind of know that that Anakin is special. Um, They think that he's special, too, because of the Chosen One prophecy. But they don't show that to him. Because and, it's like, it's definitely not the Jedi way. And and, and they also, gotta be very egalitarian about and it. And also, there's the idea that I think Anakin says this a few times in canon that the Council is scared of him. Yeah, I think the Council is scared of him, not for the reason he thinks. They they think they're jealous of. He thinks they're jealous of his powers. I think they're scared because they know his potential and they're worried about how that could potential could be used against them. 
Yes. Exactly. But they become so preoccupied with that fear that it ends up becoming true. They become so obsessed with stopping it that it eventually turns on the wait. Oh my god. Jacob, let's talk about a tale about somebody who's so obsessed with stopping something that it eventually uh, turns against them. Mm. Are you getting my twist? Possibly. Jacob, have you ever heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Mm. <laughs> there we go, yeah. It's a, in the same movie, Revenge of the Sith, a Sith obsessed with stopping something from happening, which eventually happens, and then the Jedi so obsessed with stopping something from happening that it eventually happens. Yeah. Only Anakin so obsessed with saving Padme from death, and then it eventually happens. What is this movie trying to tell us? If you stop becoming so obsessed with things, because if uh, if you if you are so obsessed with these things, if you're so possessive about these things, then it'll backfire onto you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's I just I just cracked that code. Uh, that's very good. I like yeah. that. I love that. That's a great that's a great observation. Thank you. Uh, I, I really, yeah, uh, I think it's I think it is very true. The more I think about it, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, can we talk about that extra scene with Dooku and Anakin's duel? Which, by the way, that duel with Dooku and Anakin is phenomenal. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's so it's so chilling. But yeah, you go ahead. Yeah. Uh, there there are some lines in here said by Palpatine to Anakin. I assume the brilliant plan to disguise Obi Wan Kenobi was yours. So what Palpatine's doing in here is he's complimenting Anakin and then further driving a wedge between him and the Jedi because he's like, oh, this plan wasn't yours? Why wasn't it? What, yeah. what, what, what makes them so special that they get to do this plan and you don't? Which I yeah. love. Um, and then um, I was under the impression that the Jedi always worked as a team. Oof. Oh, yeah. So the Jedi don't work as a team. They don't include you. They're not about collaboration. If the Arbiters of the Light are so great about collaboration, then why are they not doing it? Yeah. Maybe collaboration's over-related. Maybe yeah. collaboration's not worth it. And, and also, not only... Maybe it's maybe they're not as great as they say. Maybe it's not as great. Also, maybe maybe it's not. In this, also, in addition to maybe teamwork isn't as great. Maybe you should really lean into your individual skill and power. It's also maybe the Jedi aren't as great as yeah. you think they are. Absolutely, as well. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, also, by the way, when um, the doors open and uh, Dooku says "Welcome," first of all. It's a dining room scene trap, like The Empire Strikes Back, say. Yeah. Also, Palpatine says, my gracious, it's a trap. I don't even need to tell you the reference here. If you're a Star Wars fan, you know this reference. Yeah, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and then we get one of my favorite Dooku lines here. Fighting off the entire Jedi security force would have been difficult. But now that they are gone, defeating you alone will be an easy task. Which they is so mock at work. Quintessentially Dooku. 
Oh yeah. Arrogant, sarcastic remarks. It it builds on his character so great. It builds on his character so well. Um Yeah. Um and then I also love um we get flashes of Vader and Sidious in here. Anakin's fighting style against Dooku feels very Revenge of the Sith pre Helmet Vader. Yeah. Fueled by rage. This arc is about how Anakin and Vader are the same person. You know, the the the, the transition between one and the other. Um yeah. Uh another moment that I absolutely love is when Anakin says as long as I live, no harm will come to your excellency. Well, let us pray for your long and prosperous life, Anakin. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, Anakin ends up sacrificing himself to kill Palpatine. So. Oh, that's actually pretty good. I, as as I George Lucas would say, it's like poetry. poetry you know, they it rhymes. Rhyme. Every stanza rhymes, rhymes with the last. <laughs> and yep, absolutely. Feels like a little piece of that. Yeah. I also love speaking on that point. You. Master Kenobi, your worthy adversary. I cannot say the same about your young apprentice. First of all, it shows that Dooku is manipulating Anakin as much as Palpatine is. Second of all, not a worthy adversary ends up killing him. Yeah. Another, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think just generally about the episode? I liked it a lot. Um, I definitely thought that it, it was a lot more thought-provoking than the than the previous episode um not that the other one wasn't but just that this one it had so much more to dig into i thought in in terms of um of, of themes and tying into the bigger story and I, I thought it was a really um it was a really great um yeah it, it was it was just a really great watch i thought yeah no i absolutely i absolutely i love this episode um it's a it's a great one um, it wraps up a lot of the narrative arcs started in Deception, Friends and Enemies, and The Fox really well. Um, it, it feels like a very complete arc and an arc that is very well well contained. It doesn't leave a lot of things hanging. It respects what's come before. It builds on what's come before. I think it's very, very well done. Okay, are we going to get on to Massacre? Yes, let's get on a massacre. In massacre, well, it's a massacre. Um, Asajj Ventress returns to her home planet of Dathomir and reconnects with the Night Sisters as they are doing a baptism by spirit. Something um, the Separatists land on Dathomir, intent on wiping out the Night Sisters who have been causing Dooku so much trouble. Um, in response to this, the Night Sisters mobilize their forces, including undead zombies. Uh, it's a huge fight between the Separatists uh, and the Night Sisters, but eventually um, uh, Grievous is ordered by an ailing Dooku who has been being infected remotely by Talzin's voodoo doll um, to redirect his goals from Ventress to Talzin. Um, Grievous then uh, kills the Night Sisters' spiritual leader, Old Daka, and causes tells him to disappear into a basically a puff of green smoke um he and his droids wipe out and kill almost all of the night sisters except for ventress and talzin and a few others who we'll mention later um but yeah that's massacre okay 
We're ready for the fortune cookie. Fortune cookie is, one must let go of the past to hold on to the future. Dead. I mean, this is this is just a Sage Ventress to a T. Um, you know, her her father figure, the the gangster on Rat Attack, is killed. Her Jedi Master is killed. Kyneric, she is betrayed when when she's a Sith acolyte. And then in this episode, you know, the Night Sisters, right as she comes back to them, they're annihilated too. So I think she always has to is forced to let go of the past. Um, and we're gonna see that coming up probably next week in the next episode. Um, bounty. Yeah, bounty. You know, many of the problems in her life. Yeah, many of the problems in her life, I think, are caused by her thirst for revenge. Absolutely. And other thing, and and kind of in that way, dwelling on the past and other ways in which she's dwelling on the past. So, my immediate thought is Kylo Ren's quote from Last Jedi, the, the very famous one: "Let the past kill die, it kill it to. if you have to." It's the only way to become what you're meant to be. On the surface, both of those quotes seem the exact same thing, but they're actually the opposites of each other. Um, and the fortitude for this episode is actually the moral of the last Jedi, not let the past die, kill it if you have to. Kylo Ren is saying the past is for losers, where your king like where you come from doesn't matter. you you have to in order to become to become your true authentic self, you have to kill everybody who will stop you from doing that, even yeah. if that means... But what this is saying is you can't let the past control you. You, yeah. you, you have to... If you, you need to accept the past, uh, but you can't act as if the past didn't happen, but you have to move forward. You know, let the... Kylo's doing the let the past day die in a destructive way. Yeah. And this is doing it in a constructive way. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's trying to say, move yeah. on in a healthy way. Whereas Kylo is just is saying, just like, kill it all. And that's what he says to like, Rey in that scene. The Sith, the Jedi, the Empire, let it all burn. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I think another another aspect of this is one let's go the, let go of the past, hold on to the future. I think Dooku learns this lesson as well because he he explicitly says like we got to go go after the Night Sisters for revenge, and he he almost dies because of that. You know, he he experiences something quite horrible as a result. Um, so definitely definitely a big lesson for him there as well um and in a way i think this whole episode you know the night sisters you know they represent so much of the old in the in the story um yeah you know they're absolutely. steeped in tradi they're very steeped in tradition they've literally got an army of the dead they've got old daka they, they have all their traditions and then them being annihilated is kind of i think a symbol almost of of the past dying um we're kind of reflecting what is going to happen in the galaxy overall absolutely i agree with you and and and, and if we look at dathomir i'm sure i'll make many references to this game in this in, when we're talking about this episode if we look at dathomir and jedi fallen order we get to see dathomir very up close and personal in jedi fallen order 
And what do we see? Ancient buildings, ancient chambers. The place, this is what I love about Dathomir, that place is riddled with history. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's glowing with history. Like, not even close. I mean, it, and, and also, there's another thing I love. In, in this episode, Massacre, in what's the, the color of the sky in, uh, in this episode? Red. It's red. Blood, death, like gore. But then, if you remember, what color is the sky in Fallen Order on Daphne? Plain blue, just like any other sky. Wow. Because Dathomir at a Reformation. Yeah. Because we had to, because sh- they had to show in the game that, you know, Cal brought a little bit more purpose to the planet. He helped Marin defeat Malakos, who was bothering him for a while. He helped Marin realize what was really important um, after she had to deal with the trauma of having her whole family slaughtered. A few years ago. Um, but this is just red, blood, gore, death. Because that's that's the theme of that's the that's the tone of this episode. And I think I think also, um can we do a spoiler for the Bad Batch finale? Absolutely we can. That connects also to how, you know, af- right after the sinking of the of the the um the, the platforms, City. the sinking, the sundering of Topoka City we see Camino with a blue sky yeah. never seen before, which that is just wild, you know, because the entire, the entire premise of, of Camino is that these, the storms uh, flooded, flooded the planet. Yeah. And I would argue this. Too. So I think it's all, that's also another, another way of saying just like with Dathomir, you know, one era is ending and a new era is beginning. Yes, I which will. I'm sure is a Star Wars I, quote from something or other. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is too. I would say I, it's also might be a semi semisonic quote. Closing time, every new mm. beginning, some <laughs> other beginnings, and uh. But I was going to say this: What does the blue sky represent in Star Wars? More often than not, Filoni uses this a lot, not just in Clone Wars, but Rebels. What does the blue sky represent? It's a word we hear in Star Wars constantly. The blue sky represents hope. Every time we see a blue sky in Star Wars, it's about hope. That's what happens on Dathomir. Red sky means despair. You know, raining thunder of these fire from the droid. You know what I mean? We get a little defoyer kind of the episode. We're filled with gore and despair. Yeah. And then in Jedi Fallen Order, Cal Kestis helps to redeem the planet a little bit. Sky's blue. Hope. One might even say a new hope. Same thing when Bad Batch. You know, Camino, I would say, Camino before that, the color associated with Camino was blue, but it was dark blue. If light blue is hope, then dark blue is the perversion of hope. Yeah. Is the, you know, the Kaminoans are technically supposed to be good, 
but they're clearly not. They clear, clear they clearly have ulterior motives, even if they're serving good guys. But now their empire is gone, so there's no reason for it to be the perversion of good, and now it's just good. Yeah. Yeah, I really like this one scene. It's at Dooku's palace, and it's the scene where Dooku, um, he's he's ordering Grievous, say, "Hey, go over, wipe out those nice sisters, bump them off, bump them off, take care of them." You I don't want to hear about it. Do you recognize the language? Wipe the witches out, all of them. Uh, which is a nod to Palpatine to Maul in Phantom Menace when he's talking about the Gungans. Wipe yeah. them out, all of them. Yeah, and I, I like the contrasting views of, like, the contrasting versions of strength, you know. We see Grievous, you know, giving his pep talk to droids. Well, I'm not sure why robots would need pep talk. But, that he gives them, the, but, but I will never say no to a good pep talk to robots because he gives the demolition droids. That one yeah. heroes on both sides, which Some I of that is Some of you may not return. Actually... None of you will return. That but is, don't let that stop you. That is that has got to be the the sing, that has got to be the single best line in all of the Clone Wars. Absolutely, the, I I was just chortling the first time I heard that. Absolutely, it, it, I don't know. something about that. It just it just got me. If it, it was so, it was so. Grievous really humor is underrated. It was so apropos of nothing. Battle droid humor in general. Yeah. In my opinion, robot humor really, really helps carry the early seasons. Um, my point is that you have this giant shot, you know, of Grievous standing between, standing uh, in front of, I guess, rows upon rows of battle droids with these two parallel lines of uh, of drop ships slowly taking off into the air. And it's just this big grand scene, and then it immediately cuts to Ventress and her reinitiation, and it's the Night Sisters, and it's these two the kind demonic of demonic Yeah, and it's like the two compete. It's the two. Not necessarily competing, but they're two visions of strength and what that means, and they're completely at odds. You know, Grievous, he's got his battle droids, he's got he's got the technology, he's got the 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 military might, the strength, the firepower, and that's and why then, he wins because the Night Sisters yeah. aren't a military. But then the Night Sisters, they have a completely different approach. You know, they have their family, the the loyalty they select. You pledge magics. loyalty. You know, they have the magics, they have nature, they have their they have their own connection they have to the force. force. Yeah. And I don't necessarily, I think that in this scenario, obviously, Grievous comes out on top. Um, but that but I, don't, I don't necessarily think that that speaks to whether one is better than the other. I just think it's interesting to see the two different approaches. If they had two days to prepare, I don't think this would have gone the same way. Yeah. The reason this worked, it was because it was a sneak attack. They just landed, and it just happened. By the way, can I flex on you for a second? Yeah. Those landing uh, vehicles behind Grievous are C nine nine seven nine landing crafts. Wow. <laughs> I know I'm a trivia nerd. Um, also, by the way, uh, there's a second Palpatine Phantom Menace reference in this episode. Really? Grievous tells the battle droid begin landing our troops, and then um, in uh, Phantom Menace, Palpatine tells New Gunray begin landing your troops. Mm, yeah. So. I don't know, like, as I said in my notes, and this is a reference to Phantom Menace in itself. Wow, the Palpatine Phantom Menace references in this episode are off the charts. Over 20,000. <laughs> Not even Master Yoda has Palpatine references that high. Yeah, true. <laughs> I have encountered a virgins in the Palpatine references. 
a Fergus, you say, located around a person. Uh, yeah. Also, let's, let's talk, talk about Grievous in this episode. episode. One, One of the things, things I most love about this episode is that Grievous gets his due. Where's the badass Grievous, they say? Where's the Grievous we know and love? The Grievous we know and love shows up in this episode. He shows up. He goes to town on these night sisters. There's that shot of him literally snapping the neck of a zombie. Do you know that shot? Oh yeah, absolutely. Go and ham. Like, this is Grievous in his prime performance. You know, this is this is Grievous doing doing what he's supposed to do. Let's uh, talk about um, this line, which is one of the craziest lines in this episode. Send in the defoliator tank. We'll burn those witches to the ground. Yeah. First of all, they revived the defoliator tank in season one. Apparently, Lockdurn ethically failing at using that thing on the Lerman people didn't like its production. Yeah, guess not. Guess not. I also love, you know, this is also funny. Um, If you had told somebody in 1977 that in 2012 we would have seen a 3D animated Star Wars TV episode with zombies revived by magic, I don't think they would believe you. Oh, yeah. Least of all, I don't think George Lucas would have believed you. Who is this episode written by? Katie Lucas, his own daughter. Wow. (laughs) I know. Yeah. It's crazy. That's great. One of the things I love most about this episode, actually, is how weird it is. Um, there's yeah, something they really, that, they really go there. Yeah, they really go there. Um, Alex Damon from Star Wars Explained uh, had something that I like that I also believe. He's like, I love when Star Wars swings for the fences. I love when it doesn't feel afraid to take risks. I love when it goes there. Um, and I agree with him on that one. I love when Star Wars goes there. I love when Star Wars, even if it, it failed and this one didn't, I love when Star Wars tries. I think some of the most exciting content is when Star Wars tries. I've been hearing a lot of the most exciting content is about Star Wars trying because that's what the High Republic seems to be. I still haven't gotten into that, but like talking carnivorous plants, they brought talking carnivorous plants into Star Wars and the High Republic. Yeah, That's going for it. And, and I admire that. Uh, um, I also love this too. There's that line where um, a night sister trying to get uh, Ventress to safety, and she gets shot, and as she's dying, um, she goes, she says, "Doom is upon us, sister." This feels like Ventress's burning homestead moment when Luke sees the homestead where his aunt and uncle are burning, um, and he realizes that there's no one left for him and that he has to realize his destiny there's that there's that moment for ventress when she realizes that everything is falling down around her and she has to define her own destiny for herself now yeah it's kind of forces ventress to take that step because at the beginning she's kind of ready to go back into her old ways and kind of go back to the night sisters which, in a way, is kind of a fresh start compared to the Sith, but it really, um, it really also kind of isn't, in a way, what she needs. I would say. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah. By the way, um, after Cutlock Wayne was featured in an episode of The Bad Batch, my new favorite one episode character is Old Daka. Old Daka is so cool. I love her so much. We need to see a young Daka. We need to see where she got all her secrets from. I'm always fascinated by the old and wise ones. You know, your Yodas. Yeah. And but your old Daka. Old Daka is fascinating. I want to see more of her. I want to see more of her before she gets brutally chopped by Grievous. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. Anything else about generally massacre? In general, I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I think um, in terms of her fight with Grievous, it's pretty amazing that yeah. Ventress actually almost defeated Grievous, if not for him, obviously, you know, being being wily and, and crafty as he always is. Um, you know, kind of kind of calling in his reinforcements to save his butt, um, which I think is pretty amazing considering that he objectively is kind of a better opponent. And that's that just kind of speaks to Ventress's connection to um to Dathomir. Oh yeah, I was gonna say and like kind of her uh, you know, obviously home turf advantage. You know, the Night Sisters probably have the ultimate home turf advantage, given that their entire kind of connection to the Force is um their their connection to the Force is um is is maintained. Through Dathomir, basically. Absolutely, I, I agree. Um, we didn't even talk about the whole Talzin torturing Dooku thing and how crazy that was. Like, Talzin made a voodoo doll. A voodoo doll in Star Wars. And of course, at the end of the episode, the Night Sisters are gone. At the end of this episode, only four Night Sisters that we know about remain. This is the Night Sisters Order 66. Talzin. Ventress, Marin from Fallen Order, and that one uh, Night Sister from Bug, the story by Ian Convery in uh, Stories of Light and Dark. I'm going to look up what her name is right now because I want to know. Yena. Her name is Yena. So um, what are your overall thoughts about the master? Overall, um, I mean, I don't think it's as thought-provoking as the other two episodes. Um. It is kind of one long battle scene, but you know it has some good stuff in there, um, and I really think it does have a, an interesting message about you know past versus future, dwelling on the past. Um, and I think obviously with the annihilation of the the Night Sisters and their coven, it is kind of hammered home in a very gut wrenching way. Um, so yeah, it's definitely an interesting episode. Um, not one of my favorites, but I think it's it's a it's a valuable piece of the episode nonetheless so i think i might jog here this is a top 10 clone wars episode for me easily i love this episode so much if i could this is another thing if i could have one star wars tv episode converted into live action animated it would be this one because i just want to see how they do it I want to see old Daka in live action. I want to see... It goes there. It has these zany things I love in Star Wars. One of the things I love most about Star Wars is when it feels like an adventure story. I love the adventure feel in Star Wars. And this feels like that. This feels like we're going into this ancient lore. And I really like that. And I like what it has to say about the characters. 
Um, yeah, I, I just love this episode so much, and I love what it does. Um, what's your ranking of these three? Mm, I would say number one, Crisis on Naboo. Number two, The Box. And number three, Massacre. Number one, Massacre. Number two, The Box. Number three, Crisis on Naboo. All three of them are fantastic. All three of them are top 30 episodes easily for me. But Massacre just does it for me in a way the other two don't. don't. Um, but yeah. Um, now it's, it's time, time for everybody's favorite, favorite part of Star Wars in the Galaxy. What you want me to die is one quarter portion. Absolutely. Time for one quarter portion. And this week we are doing six degrees of Star Wars. Um, go ahead. Do your first one. All right. This is the first six degrees I've recorded in a very long time. I know. Right? Okay. Let's do. Can you connect for me? Omega. Omega. And Ben Solo. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. Ben. Leia, Hera, Omega. Nice. Yeah. I forgot about it's that. Those, it's those core characters that you yeah, always use. Yeah, corridor. Here's the fun one. All right. You have something I want. You may think you have some idea of what you're in possession of. I knew I was in something. I but you, you. You do not. Oh, that's such a cold Soon, line. I love it that. will be mine. Gideon and Kira. Gideon and Kira. Mm, okay, okay. Okay, so Kira. Wait, Kira, Han, Luke. Gideon, did Luke ever? No, Luke, yeah, Luke met Gideon directly. So Luke was in the same room as Gideon? Does that count if they're in the same room? I would say actually... yes. I would say I feel yes. like that. I feel like that If you thought you could go with Luke dating Gideon yeah, and it just get it out of the way. I would difference. say Luke and Gideon yeah. met because they were in the same room. They waved hi to each other at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> they, they waved hi to each other. Hey, hey oh, what's up? Okay, how about this? Could you connect for me, please? Kit Fisto, and the one and only DJ. Well, we'll give you what we're going to do. Uh, DJ... DJ, Leia, Luke, Anakin, Kit Fisto. Nice. It's all through those darn Skywalkers. There it is. Okay. Um, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you to to um, connect Biston, the space monkey guy. Biston, the space monkey. He's I'm from not... Rogue One. He's the guy, the gunner. Oh, Biston. Yeah, Biston. Okay, okay, Biston. Biston, right, right. And weak. Savage Press. Biston and Savage Press. See, I don't know who Biston met in Rogue One. Let me think. He met, Biston, like, he met the main crew. He met the main crew. Okay. That's all you need to know. He met the main crew. Okay. He met the main crew. Okay. Okay. Biston. Biston Savage. Okay. Yeah. Biston. Jin. Mon Mothma. Oh, Mon Mothma. Palpatine Savage. That's an interesting thing. I just thought of another one. Oh. It's the same amount of steps, actually. Are you ready for this? Yeah. 
Piston Jin saw Anakin oh. survive. Or saw Obi-Wan survive. Yeah. Or, or saw Ahsoka survive. Yeah, yeah. Actually, oh, no, yeah, I didn't even realize the saw. I didn't even I didn't even think of the saw connection. Yeah, yeah. I was I, 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 I was I was, I was pretty impressed with myself with that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, before we go, we have one more announcement. As, as you might know, it was a little bit of a surprise. surprise. We didn't think we were going to be recording this. The next episode will be indeed be out in two weeks. Also, in the meantime, please go check out if you haven't already. Jade Eyes and Jedi were uh, kind enough. Jay Gods and Jedi were kind enough to have me on for an episode discussing the Resistance episode, the Vox Vortex 5000. So, uh, it's a more adult-centered podcast, so I advise discretion in those areas. Uh, but uh, I had a great time with them. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we talked about Transformers and um, Poser Huts. That's pretty much what we talked about. Uh, anyway, uh, in the meantime, though, the next episode we're going to be recording are on the last three episodes of Star Wars The Clone Wars Season 4. That's right, we're coming to the end of Season 4. Bounty, Brothers, and Revenge. And you're going to hear my hot take about one of my least favorite episodes of Star Wars television ever. Um, which is Brothers. I hate that episode, and everything it stands for. But whatever, it's fine. Uh, in the meantime, uh, follow us on Twitter at Galaxy on Instagram at Star Wars in a Galaxy. Uh, you can uh, listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be there. Uh, if we're not, please contact us. Speaking of contacting us, you can email us at SWNAGalaxy at gmail.com. Uh, and I think in the meantime, may the Force be with you. Always.